0: Hello, friends. Well, hello, everybody. I'm happy to have you back here once again on the Improv and Magic Podcast. My name is L.D. Madera, and I'm very happy about this episode because today I'm talking to an old friend who I've had the pleasure of learning with, shared the stage with, and have watched developed into an amazing performer. Folks, my guest today is Diane Jorge. Diane has been a comedic performer for over 13 years in South Florida and has performed with various theaters, including my home theater, Just the Funny, as well as with Front Yard Theater Collective and Improv U. Diane performs improv and stand-up comedy all across the United States, and she's certainly become one of the top female performers in South Florida. Diane has also developed two amazing one-person improvise shows. Her first show is Mercado de la Fortuna. Inspired by the famous astrologer Walter Mercado, she gives improvised fortunes to audience members, or, as she puts it, Fortunas con mucho, mucho humor. Her second show is called Solo Vela, a solo improvised telenovela that she creates based on audience suggestions and plays all of the characters. Diane was actually a student of mine at Just the Funny, And since the first time I met her, I could tell that she had an energy level unlike anyone else I've ever met. Her energy, her passion, her drive is so infectious. She knows how to get herself out there and go big. We talked about a lot in our interview, including how to find that balance between going big and holding that back as well as a very honest discussion about being a performer while dealing with ADHD. While you're listening to this, here's a fun little drinking game you can all play. Take a drink every time Diane hits the microphone. You'll understand what I mean later. So without further ado, I'm very happy to present my guest today, Diane Jorge. My friends, it's a really special day because I'm joined by a very special lady. She's my friend. She's Diane Jorge. Hey Diane, how you doing?
1: Hi. <laughs> I'm good. Um, they it's so funny that I'm like I'm doing all this like movement and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a podcast.
0: <laughs> they can't
1: see me. I was just like putting my I was like pumping my fist like I'm on the Jersey shore. <laughs> I'm like, but they can't see me. Stop doing that, Diane.
0: Well, I mean you do move a lot. You're one I of those do. people that doesn't stand still.
1: No, I don't. Yeah. It's great.
0: <laughs> uh, we just had a great lunch together. We did.
1: We did. we did.
0: Yeah. And this is actually the first time you've been at my house.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, this is why you're like, oh, should we do it on Zoom or like come in person? I'm like, uh, I'm going to go to your house. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I've never been. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I usually prefer in person. I mean, the online yeah. one are for the people that are like out of town and yeah. not in the same vicinity as me.
1: Yeah. I'm in Broward County. Uh, so UI. am I. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, they found us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um he lives let's read out the address now. But yeah. Yeah, we both like we're literally like ten exits away from each other. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'll just come up. Yeah.
0: How how long have we known each other? We've known each other for uh, quite a while.
1: You were my first improv teacher, so like fifteen has
0: years? it been that long?
1: Like so wait, twenty 2008 2009
0: I want to say yeah. yeah that does sound right yeah
1: yeah so like 15 years yeah
0: okay wow it's been that long I've yeah. known you for 15 years
1: yeah and you're still talking to me
0: Oof. <laughs> yeah. Oof. you haven't driven me away yet <laughs> oh, I'll try
1: harder I'll try harder yeah try harder maybe at the end of this you'll just be like Diane who she no longer exists <laughs>
0: yeah. oh my gosh how are things going for you nowadays
1: good good um really busy with day job and not day job that's mm-hmm. this kind of how i see things now you know it's like day job fine got to pay the bills and then the other stuff i would much rather be doing um corporate job if you are hearing this joke haha um <laughs> but you know um good really busy and just i'm there's so many things i want to do and so many things i am doing now and I don't know. I'm just, I like to do a lot of different things. Um, so yeah, I'm having fun doing all of it, all of it. Just, you know, sleep, sleep is nice. Um, yeah. I, I do that from time to time, but yeah,
0: that's a good thing to do.
1: Yeah. It's a good, it's important to rest.
0: Yeah. What is your day job? I, I you've had a couple um, of different jobs. if, if I'm Well,
1: not mistaken. no, I mean, I've had like the same one since, uh, I've been, I've been at my the job I'm at now 13 years. So okay. I've had a couple of like, I've done other like part-time stuff just to kind of supplement income. But, um, I'm a, um, researcher for a TV network. So I basically look at the ratings and I'm like, Oh, your show's doing bad. And so basically I have to tell people their babies are ugly all day <laughs> using data and charts to be like, your baby is ugly for the following reasons. So you can see here in this bar chart, it's 50% ugly, you know. So, yeah, it's looking at, like, the Nielsen ratings, and it's very nerdy, and then, yeah, and then everything else I do is, I guess it is nerdy, too. Comedy mm. can be nerdy, but yeah.
0: Oh, it definitely can be.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, I want to start, as I always do, at the beginning. So, where did you grow up, and what was growing up like for you?
1: Um. So, born and raised in Miami, 305 till I die, but now I live in Broward, 954 to survive. Um... Yeah, I you know my parents were Cuban. They got here in the uh, during the Mariel boatlift um, in the in 1980, and I was born some nondescript years later. Uh, <laughs> cause I don't. Want, so a couple years into them being in the um, in the states, I was born, and you know, so I was growing with I was grow I was like the only American born um, member of my family. So a lot of the. um I'm not, not Cuban enough or not American enough. So it's like this limbo I've always had to be in. But um, growing up in Miami, I think, it, you know, because you always hear about Hispanics and Latino, Latinx, and you hear about some of the struggles that a lot of our community has in the States. But growing up in a place like Miami, where there's so many Cubans and so many other like Latinos from other countries, I always grew up appreciating my culture and being immersed in my culture completely. So, um, Miami is a big part of me. I've left Miami, but Miami certainly hasn't left me at all. So, um, yeah, it was always growing up. It's just, you know, juggling the two cultures, Mm -hmm. being the, being the translator at six years old, be like, I don't know how to say high blood pressure in Spanish, mom. Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) what were you like as a kid?
1: Um, not much different than I, am now. <laughs> um, here's a fun thing about ADHD. You don't outgrow it. I'm living proof. Um, I was just really hyperactive and curious and talkative. I wasn't talkative until I was about three or four years old. Cause I didn't really talk mm. much. Um, and now I'm making up for lost time. I always hear that joke. And if someone says that joke to me, I'm going to, mm. Anyway, not original. But, yeah, I mean, I was just always really, like, creative and um, just kind of danced to the beat of my own drum always. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was always, like, misunderstood. Like, I get, like, teased or made fun of. And then also I've always been, like, I'm, like, a diamond level fat, uh, meaning I've been fat my whole life. You know how some people are like, oh, I gained weight after the kids or I gained weight after high school. I've always like my thighs have always like, I don't know what a thigh gap is. I've never felt the wind blow between my thigh. I, I've never, I don't know what that is. They've always been like, you know, bosom buddies, but like, you know, I always feel like I've like, I've had so much energy and so much to like give. And I just, for a while, I didn't know how to like harness that if you will. Right. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I was really energetic, really social, um, Yeah. That's what I would say. I was really always energetic.
0: Hmm. Is there any difference to, is there, you said there wasn't that much difference, but is there any difference at all between the Diana before and the Diana now?
1: Um, Income. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think income and I think life experience too. Um, Growing up, I didn't know I had ADHD. My, I was diagnosed at a young age, but According to my mom, eso no existía en Cuba. They didn't exist in Cuba, so it wasn't a thing.
0: Right. So
1: some doctor told her just to give me Benadryl.
0: <laughs> For like,
1: ADHD. For ADHD. I'm like, oh, so you roofied me. Cool. Okay. Um <laughs> No, but it was, I always felt like something was off with me, or I felt like there's something about me that's different from other people. I just didn't know what that was. And sometimes when you're misunderstood and you don't understand why the, you are the way you are, um, you start to develop, you know, different things like humor. I think humor is what got me through a lot of my childhood and a lot of my, my life. Cause there's again, humor is a coping mechanism. So I think that's where my humor came from, but I think it's just like that life experience and, just knowing myself better as I've gotten older, I've gotten to know myself better and be more comfortable with myself. So I think that's the Diane now is more money, is more comfortable with herself um, and more anxiety, actually, because I realized how cruel life can be.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny how I've had a lot of people on this podcast who have said exactly what you said. How yeah. Humor was a big coping mechanism yeah. back in the day. Was that true for you? Like, did Absolutely. you use humor all the time?
1: Absolutely. I remember in second grade, I um, I was made fun of a lot. Again, I was always a chubby kid. And, you know, kids could be cruel, which is why I don't have any. Because I don't want a bully in my house telling me, Mommy, you look fat today. I'm like, okay, you get no dinner. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but, you know. I remember in second grade, some kid was like making fun of me and saying I weighed a ton or something. And it was a fifth grader. He had all the zits on his face. I'm not proud of this moment now, but like looking back on it, I remember like I saw all the zits on his face. I'm like, wow, your face looks like the moon with all those craters on it. So there was this kid who like, I guess, I guess he was going through changes. Like we all, you know, like around, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, we all start to, the hormones in our body manifest in different ways. And I made fun of his acne and he was called crater face for the rest of the year because of me, a second grader. Um, but like, that's when I realized the power of words and the power of humor, like the, the very thing that was hurting me words, right. Yeah. Or jokes at my expense. I'm like, well, you know what? I can do that too. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I definitely went through that when I was a kid, except I didn't have the ability that you had to like, fight back yeah. a bit you know because i you know i've you and me are the same i've been a, a big guy my entire yeah life. we're
1: diamond level fat we're not even platinum yeah. level we're diamond level
0: yeah <laughs> i didn't get teased in high school in yeah. elementary school i got it every single year you yeah. know the really weird thing was every year that i got picked on for being fat yeah it was always led by this one boy but it changed every single year
1: it was like a different aspect or a different thing. No, it was a
0: different boy leading oh. the group of who would make fun of me, which was so weird. It yeah. was as if like every summer they got together and they're like, okay, we had a good year. We tortured LD. Uh, I think Jimmy would be good for next year. Let's have him do it.
1: Okay. Try this tactic. This one makes me really cry. No. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: But, and by the way, when I say the word fat, like, the word fat has such negative connotation. Yeah. And, it's a neutral word and, and it's a neutral word that we've given a connotation. I remember um, I was doing stand up, and I said something about like, Oh, being fat or something. And the woman goes, Oh my God, but you're so beautiful. I'm like, bitch, I didn't say I was ugly. <laughs> I just said I was fat or like someone else is like, Oh, you're not fat. I'm like, there's five sh- stores I can shop at. Like I have no neck. I have no thigh gap. And any bra I wear is a marvel of modern engineering. Trust me, (laughs) I'm fat. And again, like that word doesn't... Even my own therapist, like when I said the word fat out loud, she was like, (gasps) you know, and I was like, oh, maybe I can teach you something, you know? So for me, I'm very comfortable with that word um, and using that word to describe myself. But that's not the only thing. But again, I've taken out the stigma of that word. So
0: yeah, I think there are certain words where it really depends on how someone internalizes it. Right. You know, like you're someone who would hear the word fat and you would own it. Yeah. Whereas someone like me would hear the word fat and that would cause me to just crumble.
1: Yeah. That's why I was like, so I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm like, Oh, cause we're fats. But I'm yeah. like, wait, hold on. There's like, there's a lot of, again, cause you, especially when you've been made fun of your weight and that word has been thrown out at you as an insult, as if it's, it's something, Horrible, so Mm -hmm. a lot of times again, this is me. I'm doing the work of like accepting myself and oops, I just my bad, of accepting yourself and loving yourself and coming to a space where, like, well, this is who I am, take it or leave it, you know. So, um, and it's like getting comfortable in your skin, but to get comfortable in your skin, you have to get uncomfortable with what you have perceived to be you. Because of what other people have said about you. Hmm.
0: Has that been difficult for you to be able to do that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when you when I started when I got diagnosed with ADHD, like in my late twenties, it it's as if I'm like you know that part from Miss Doubtfire where Sally Field finds out that Mrs. Doubtfire is really like a man and Mm -hmm. that was her Her ex-husband and she's like the whole time, the whole time, the whole time. Mm -hmm. That is literally what happened to me when my, my, my psychologist at the time was like, has anyone talked to you about ADHD? And she read out all the symptoms. and I go, that's a, that's a thing. (laughs) I mean, you meet the whole time, the whole time, the whole, you know, and I'm thinking, Oh, there's something terribly wrong with me. Oh, i damaged goods. And lo and behold, it's just that my brain processes things differently. So once I got my diagnosis, I'm just trying to be, I'm moving my arms around so much. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm going to sit on my You people can't hands. see
0: this, but Diane has knocked into the mic like four times already. <laughs> I'm going to sit on my, I'm going to sit on my head. We know that's not going to last. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. That's Okay.
1: Like, you know how many glasses I've broken in my lifetime? Like, you know, when someone's like, oh, Diane's like a bull in a china shop. I'm like, no, this bull does not enter a antique store or china shop. Or I just look at the window because I know I'm going to break something really expensive. Um, but see, now I forgot what we were talking about. See, ADHD. Um, but um, what were we talking
0: about? You were talking about how you got your ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, when I got
1: my ADHD diagnosis, I started to read about it more. And I think also social media, a lot of people with ADHD would make videos about their experience. And it's like, Oh my God, I'm not the only one. Cause I think a lot of times when you're going through depression or you're going through a hard moment in your life, it's as if you're the only one that goes through it and no one else can understand. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing articles and videos and people literally describing experiences I was going through every day and I'm like oh I'm not alone in this I'm not this like freak of nature I am a freak of nature but like not (laughs) you're not the
0: only freak I'm not
1: the only freak of nature I'm like okay this is this makes sense and you know now I can once you give something a name now you can have power over it and now you can learn learn about yourself more you know
0: yeah. I think, you know, for many things that we could say about social media, I do think that's one of the good things about yeah. it, where more people are finding other people that are in their same worlds.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people will make these funny videos about ADHD things. A lot of times I'll send a, a video to like my husband and he's like, oh, that makes sense. And mind you, when we started dating and I told him about my diagnose, diagnosis, one of the first things he did was like, go on YouTube and watch videos about ADHD because- You know, he had heard about like kids having it and having to leave class early to take their pay attention meds or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to know what it was like to date someone with ADHD. And so, you know, there'd be some things where he would, you know, my husband's like the most patient man alive. He's a patron saint of patience. That's like what I call him. (laughs) He's the sweetest, most patient guy. But even sometimes he loses his cool with, you know, I could see that little face of frustration but then a lot of times, you know, then there'll be times where he's like, oh, you're doing that because of your ADHD, mm-hmm. not because you're trying to ruin my life. And I'm like, yes, my brain is not me. I'm not choosing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there are people who are like that. There are people who don't have ADHD, but still yeah. do what they do just because, which is right. also kind of weird. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say weird, but
1: I, you know, it, it, it's again, it's just knowing yourself and knowing where things like what the source of things are. Cause for example, mm. There's a lot, of, for example, people may not realize they're jealous of another person. So they might, you know, talk badly about someone because it makes them feel better, you know, mm-hmm. but they don't understand why they're doing that. Right. And I think it's getting in touch with your emotions and, tr- and getting in touch with, you know, we're not, we're a product of, you know, our environments. We can be right. But you can always change something about yourself if you want to. But, you know there's certain experiences you have in your life that mold you and uh, make you who you are. Um, And I think it's understanding how that has affected you. And also understanding, okay, why do I do this certain thing like this? Or why do I think this about this person, even though they haven't done anything wrong to me, but it's, so it's facing the uncomfortable truths. It's, you don't get, you don't grow in your comfort zone. You grow outside of it. So, right. I think it's important to, you know, face the hard truths about yourself.
0: So, at what point did becoming a performer become interesting to you?
1: So, growing up, I've always just been like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And I think in high school is when I started getting into choir, I actually did try out for the drama club, but I didn't get in because I forgot my monologue and I improvised the whole monologue and I had them laughing. But a girl who auditioned had the same monologue I did and she said it word for word. So mm. obviously they knew I was I didn't memorize it. So right. um, they're like, well, if this chick can't memorize a thing, wait till she has to memorize a play. you know yeah. So I never got into drama club, but you know, I got into choir and in, like in high school. And um, even in like middle school, I would do like lunchtime performances with like two of my friends. We would sing whatever song was current and do like weird little hand movements. We had like a whole dance to Celine Dion. My heart will go on, mm. you know, in that movie, M- Napoleon dynamite, where they have like the, the hands club or whatever. It, yes, It's like the fake. It's not real sign language. It's like fake sign language. And they're dancing with their hands. Yeah. I have a whole thing for my heart will go on <laughs> with my hands. That I used to do with two of my friends. Um, but I think, from a very young age, I felt like I had something creative and funny to express. Even like second grade, going back to second grade, that's where I, I think I figured out, oh, people stop bothering me if I make jokes. So I think from like eight, I was saying I was eight years old and I realized, oh, the power of performance and the power of comedy. But I think I was pretty slow to like immerse myself into doing a theater camp or something like that. I don't think until like high school, college and like adulthood is when I really got into like wanting to perform
0: seriously. I'm curious. Why did it take long for you to want to dive into that? Um,
1: I think partly it's the negative voices in your head. Like you're repeating everything everyone else has said about you. Mm. Oh, you're so weird. Oh, you're fat. Oh, you're so ugly. Oh, you know, like all these, uh, you know, I've always been quirky I've always been weird and now I, I embrace that now but I wish like that's the one thing I wish I could do to my younger self and go back you're like you're still gonna be weird as an adult just own it this is not you're not gonna grow out of this just this is this is you for life so just just own it and I think I would have you know I think I would have had a lot more confidence than to jump into those things
0: Did you have some sort of confidence issues back then?
1: Yeah. Most definitely. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Most, most definitely. I just, I would look in the mirror and I would see everything I wasn't versus like what was there
0: already, you know? Yeah. And you know, when it comes to like uh, doing drama in high school and stuff like that and It takes one kid to say one thing that will ruin your life and ruin your experience forever. I was fortunate. I haven't had that experience, but I've seen others that had that experience. And I think not enough people realize that while you're trying to have a good time, when it's someone else's expense, you and your buddies will laugh, but you have no idea how much it's tearing down that person.
1: And the ramifications of that, Um, you know, there are some, there are incidences that I'll remember from childhood that I'm like, oh man, how do I still remember that?
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: the thing is, I remember how it made me feel.
0: Yeah. You may not remember the specifics, but you remember, you remember the how feeling.
1: You, yes. You re, yeah. That's what I always tell people. Like, I may not remember word for word what was said, but I remember exactly how I felt in that moment.
0: Yeah. And I do like how now in schools, they're pushing that a lot yes. more than before about how you know words can hurt yeah but there's also a big part of me that feels kind of angry about it because <laughs> yes. i feel like well this is great where was this when i was a kid yeah
1: like oh you're now you're doing it yeah okay um great I, can i get my therapy money back um <laughs> yeah. miami dade public school system
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Can you
1: pay for my therapy? Because had you done that before,
0: I probably
1: wouldn't need as much therapy as I need now.
0: <laughs> but that's probably why they're putting a lot more emphasis on it now, because right. people are coming out and saying, "I had this happen to me," and and this is how yeah. it's affecting me now.
1: Right. But it's, and you know, some people will be like, "Oh no, the kids of this generation are too sensitive." Good. They we, should be. We, we should be sensitive. Look at the world now. Like, I think if we had more sensitive people in the world and we had more empathy, um, in the world. I think, you know, it might be just like a a smidge of a better place, you know?
0: Yeah. If you had to figure out what the trajectory of your life was going to be when you were a kid and when you were in high school, what did you think that was going to be for you?
1: I had no clue. And reason being so, you know. Think of like the cheesecake factory menu and how there's 10,000 options. Mm -hmm. That was my future. I had (laughs) 10,000 little points that I'm like, at one point I wanted to be a lawyer. I remember like I was in fifth grade and I was having dinner with my parents. I'm like, oh, maybe I want to be a lawyer. My sister, who's um, a good amount older than me, but I'm not going to say how much because then I might reveal her real age and she doesn't tell her real age to people. Um, see, I have my sister's back. So <laughs> and she goes, Oh, lawyers are overrated. There's too many of them in the world. <laughs> and then my sis my parents to this day blame my sister for me not being a lawyer. I mean, I figured I saw how much you have to read in law in law school. I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. Someone else be a lawyer. But I always I would oh I'm like I wanna be a teacher. No, maybe um I want to be like a meteorologist. No, maybe I want to be like a radio DJ. No, maybe I want to do, uh, I don't know, this other thing. Like, I never picked one thing. I just, by the time I got to college, I'm like, what am I good at? Communicating. There's a whole major called communications. Okay, done.
0: <laughs> Where did you go to college? I
1: went to Florida State. Okay. Yeah. Um... A very good four years from what I can remember. Um, it's a party school. So, um, yeah, I might have partaken in some, you know, some partying. Oh, perhaps if you heard a snap, by the way, that was my, uh, neck, uh, cracking. Cause, uh, I'm getting older and yeah.
0: Yeah, at lunch, we had this whole discussion about how you can't really do any headbanging. Yeah. And then lo and behold, you're headbanging. Again, on a podcast. I'm moving my head.
1: I'm just moving my head slightly. I'm not even, (laughs) you know, listening to death metal and be like, I'm just moving my head and it just cracked.
0: While you were at Florida State, did you do any other sort of performing?
1: Not much. I did take an acting class my senior year. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I was a part of a, I worked for like, the college radio station and I recorded a couple of like promos or commercials for events. Mm-hmm. And I also worked for a, uh, like a top 40 radio station, um, that, which was the only one that was in Tallahassee at the time. And, um, uh, I, you know, I would do some on air stuff for them too. So I guess that's like probably the only in terms of performance or like forward facing, mm-hmm. um, things I did. But like, I think adulthood is really when I was like, you know what? I might as well do it. Like what do I have to lose? I'm not yeah. getting any younger.
0: So what did you do after college?
1: Um, so after college, um, I moved back to Miami. I started working, you know, for like a news. I started working for the Miami Herald, selling advertising. I was working at ad agency, and you know, a couple of like a year and some change into the real world, I'm like, okay, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like. Why was I in a rush to get here? This is terrible. Why didn't anyone tell me this? And my favorite everyone, literally everyone that's older than me was like, we've been trying to tell you. I'm like, no, you guys did not convey how bad this was.
0: You know what? I, I think there's <laughs> not enough that really prepares you for what no. really happened. No. Like there's a lot of, you know, okay, this is what will be great when you get in. And when you get in, this is what you do. But right. there's not enough discussion of how do you get in. Right.
1: No. It's just, once you start getting into, like, the real world and, you know, you realize it's a, it's not a grade, you can't talk your, talk, sweet talk your professor out of a deadline, it's not that. And that, also, that's around the time I got diagnosed with ADHD when I realized, I'm like, oh, I can't keep up with the work,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know? Why is everyone else around me able to do this so easily and I'm here on the struggle bus, you know? Yeah. And that's also when I started, like, getting into improv,
0: yeah, well, that's a good transition. So, how did you get into improv? How did you discover it?
1: So, I I did a. Um, so, in college, it was two days before I was turning 21. I was in Chicago for a, a Latino leadership conference. And actually, then Senator Obama, I'm aging myself, then Senator Obama made an appearance. And so did Hillary Clinton. Hmm. I should have seen it. I should have seen, it like, oh, okay. Lo and behold, they were, you know the 2008 presidential candidates and all that. But we were going to like bars and like, I, I think I stumbled into IO and I saw a little bit of a show and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. But I was really drunk. So I didn't remember. Um, allegedly drunk. Cause it was two days before I was 21. Allegedly. Um, and then, you know, I forgot about it. And then one day I'm Googling comedy classes and I found just the funny, which is our, home theater and they're like oh we have classes so i'm like you know what let's do it let's take a class and here i am 15 years later and still in, front of you. still in it still in it yeah
0: yeah and you were um I, I was your first teacher yeah you were yep yeah
1: yep so this is ld's fault everyone yeah so, I'm, to,
0: I'm very much to blame so for
1: please uh feel free to send your your vitriol <laughs> No.
0: Send your letters to... Send your letters to (laughs) P.O. Box. (laughs) (laughs) But so when you started taking classes with us, what were some of the things that were really resonating with you as you were taking our classes?
1: Um, I think it was... um, So it's, you know, it was the the kind of like the free-for-all that improv is. Mm -hmm. It's not like this super structured, like... Set, you know, set up punch, set up punch. Obviously, you know, I was very rough, very rough around the edges um, when I started. I still am now, but I think I'm able to, you know, i am smoothed out a bit, but I think it was just like the, the, oh, we don't know what's going to happen next type of thing, which usually that causes anxiety for a lot of people not knowing the future. But I found that to be the most exciting Cause at least at work you're like I have this deadline, I have this meeting, but there was it's not like you have a deadline with improv, right? You know, and it's like this environment to like explore and have fun and play like that, that youthful imagination that you're you know that you learn as an adult to suppress is very much welcomed in improv. So I think that's what uh, that I think that's what hook that that was the hook for me, you know.
0: I think everyone who studies improv, whether it's with us at Just the Funny or at IO or wherever, right. I think everyone kind of has that one moment that they experience and it could be during the class or it could be in a show where they all of a sudden realize this is definitely the right choice for me. Yeah. Did you have a moment like that?
1: I think it was, um, it, the level one class, it was, there was like, my class is big. There was like 10 of us, 11 of us.
0: Yeah. Or something. Our level one class is always the biggest class. Uh, yeah, yeah. It but, just ends up being that
1: way. Yeah. It was like so many of us and like I'm on the stage and I'm performing with these people that I didn't know any of them before the class. Like, mm-hmm. but once I got to know all of them and we were performing and then, you know, things we would say, people were laughing and they were enjoying themselves. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, Oh, you thought that was funny okay, I'm going to keep doing it some more. And you get that reaction. You're like, you know, you're creating something out of nothing. And then people are watching it and enjoying it. And I think at that point I'm like, Oh, and then there was like another point, I think it was like level three or level four. It was level four. Cause, um, there was only like at that point, it only dwindled down to like four or five of us. And, JTF we they used to do a competition where they would invite all the other troop groups from South Florida mm-hmm. to to compete. So for so I guess the I think the you guys were doing the cast was doing something else or something. So it ended up just being David Christopher and I doing a duo. And mind you, I had never done a duo. I'd always done like ensemble things. I hadn't really done much long form at that point, um, but like David and I we were able to carry a whole show and I had people complimenting me from that I had never met before from other troops. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is okay. Cool. Oh, I can, you know, I think people making people laugh is like, it's one of my favorite things in the world, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that feeling you get of, you know, bringing, just bringing a smile to someone's face is like, ah, like, Oh, I did that. I mean, we did that, but I was a part of that you know yeah
0: yeah you know you mentioned this and i, and I love that feeling so much of doing or saying something that's just your truth of that moment yes and then it gets a laugh and you don't expect there to be right. a laugh and then that little second of going oh wow really you guys like that yeah. that to me is like such the is it's the greatest feeling yes. in the world and when students experience that there's a really big euphoric thing that you see happen. yeah
1: and i remember like so you were my first teacher but then after from like level two on it was David Christopher and, mm-hmm. you know, the name, just the funny, he's always like, I almost want to cover up the end and the Y and just be like, just the fun.
0: He still does that. And he
1: still does that. <laughs> right. Because, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that in, in improv, we're going to teach you how to be funny, Right. But we're really going to teach you to be present in the moment and to follow the truth and to follow the fun. And then eventually... The funny will eventually, it will just come naturally.
0: Yeah. We don't try to find the funny. We let funny find us.
1: Exactly. Right. You just kind of f- just follow the fun, follow the fear a little bit too. Right. Yeah. Cause a little bit of a free fall, but the great thing about that free fall, if you're doing improv, right. Is you have a group of people that you have a safety net. You, you're you not alone in this. You're, we're all falling together, but we're not going to let each other fall flat on our faces. We're not going to let each other go splat.
0: Right. You know? there, we definitely, this is one of the things that I also love about our classes is that we definitely teach a lot about supporting yes. the other person.
1: Yeah. And I think that support, even in the real world, is hard to find a lot of times with your yeah. coworkers. Yeah. Because even in the corporate environment, you people are very quick to throw you under the bus. Oh, yeah. But then you have to be like, per my last email, Karen. Mm-hmm. Right. And that supportive environment where you can explore your imagination, you can explore different facets of your personality. You don't have to be yourself. You can be yourself. But you know, you you can even play, you know, you can lean into a certain part of yourself you even know you had. Um, so just the endless possibilities and support that you get out of improv is something that to this day I, I love.
0: There are many great words to describe your performance. But I can definitely say that one word that no one will ever use to describe you is soft-spoken. No.
1: (laughs) And funny thing is, okay, so I haven't been back to just a funny in a while because I guess we'll talk about the other things I'm doing too, right? And I was doing a scene with someone and I was trying to play a soft-spoken character. (laughs) And then the person just kept, oh, see, I just... (laughs)
0: that's that the fifth time she's bumped into the mic <laughs> bing.
1: you should do like a count like when you probe back and edit like bing fifth yeah. time
0: we'll have a counter yeah <laughs>
1: so um see right now my hand is like on top of my thighs i'm grabbing onto them um it's like I, if i were directing airport airplane traffic like they'd all crash um i could never have that job so i'd just be talking casually so anyways i was saying well why are the planes hitting the tower well um so I was doing a scene with someone who is typically not um like a loud improviser. So when I saw they were being loud, I'm like, okay, let me do the opposite. But then I think David was directing that rehearsal in particular and he's like, he was telling a person, stick to your stuff, stick to your stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, ha, 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 you know. man, mm-hmm. I'm like, H-ha. I had to scream whatever I was saying because yeah. they were David was telling them to hold on to their stuff, which mind you ended up being the better choice. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, because in the world, and especially when you're neurodivergent, you have to mask a lot of your intricacies, and there's a lot of mental agility and strength you have to have, and emotional intelligence you have to have to, you know, because ADHD people, when we feel something, it's, the emotions can be a little too large to handle sometimes. Yeah. So a lot of times I have to mask in the real world, so when I'm on stage, I'm just like, (sighs) I'm just like, that's it. This is... Nope, no mask.
0: You once shared with me a really great story about when you took a workshop with Joe Bill. Yes. And how Joe Bill told you that you're always gonna hear the note from other yep. improv <laughs> teachers to tone it down. Yep. And Joe Bill actually told you to just stay true to who you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was like so my so M, the Miami Improv Festival, so so I do this workshop and it's called What's Wrong With You? I'm five or six months into improv. So I'm five or six months into improv doing this workshop with Joe Bill, Mark Sutton, probably too early for me to take it, but you know, I was really eager, like right, especially in the beginning, to learn everything I could about improv. How can I do this better? I don't want to suck. So I take this workshop. I go through it and he's going down the line. And then Joe Bill's like, I'm gonna tell you something, you're gonna get this note probably your entire improv career just because I, I have a feeling six time i fit hit the mic. <laughs>
0: You know what? We're going to make this a drinking game pretty soon.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Um, if Yeah, if it's like time 10, please go to the hospital. Um, <laughs> so Joe Bill's like, you're probably going to get this note a lot. Um, you know, you have a lot of energy and you, I think you are naturally like this off stage. There's some people who are different on stage and on stage. you 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 have a lot of energy. I think that's just, that's a great thing to have most people have the opposite problem you're gonna get the note to tone it down from time to time and and he's like he's like I don't want to tell you to not do it but he's like you know just just look for moments where you can just where you can harness that energy because you you can't be at 10 all the time
0: mm-hmm.
1: right so then uh, I think it was like the second to last uh, mif there was. I pulled him aside and I go, you know, you give me a note that I still do. And you were right about it, I still hear from this day. And he's like, and he's like, what well, about? I'm like, oh, me about me having too much energy. And he's like, you know what? I I get it now. He's like, no, I take it back. He's like, do you? He's like, he's like, you have enough instincts to know when to turn it on or off. Mm-hmm. But I take it back. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> So you were wrong is what you're saying. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and then the one of the biggest compliments he ever gave me. So we were at countdown the last night of countdown and they always do a really fun. It's like a very improv-y like stream of consciousness form. It's called the set, like the seven, mm-hmm. right. Where it's actually three of them, but yeah. yeah. And they do little things to mess with each other. So one of the things I had to do, so I volunteered to do one of the things and I think it was Harmonica John. Yes, Harmonica John. He was like, oh no, but you're going to try to outstage me or whatever. And then Joe Bill's like, well, she is one of the funniest people in Florida. And I was like, what? <laughs> I
0: was like, aw. That Joe. must have felt great. That
1: felt great. Um, even though the next day I caught at the coffee shop at the hotel, I pulled him aside and go, just Florida Bill, Joe Bill. Just Florida. <laughs> 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 I was just messing with him. But you know I'm always been a very energetic person and it, mm-hmm. it tends to turn people off because that's the first thing they see is like yeah but mm-hmm. once they get to know me they're like okay you're not like that all the time but right. you know I know I could be a lot
0: yeah I think when I had you as a student I may have told you that at one point too and if I did like Joe Bill I'll go ahead and I'll take it back too because you know, one of the, one of the great things about improv is that when you're playing a character, they are you and not you at the right. same time, but it's still you.
1: It is, cuz it comes from you, but I think when you're doing a character, it's just you're applying a different filter. Yeah. That's all it is. Character is just a filter through which you speak. It's just a, it's a filter through which you speak and experience. So for that brief moment in time you're on stage, you're playing a character, you're putting what you would say, but you're putting it through the filter of whatever truth you've presented. Right. Yeah. So like, if I have a character that's like, and it's like, okay, the person that sounds like that, what would they, how would they say something? How would they, what would their mannerisms be like? You know? So it's just, character is just a filter. Of, yeah. of, of that you put yourself through. Yeah. That's all that is.
0: Yeah, and what's amazing is, as I see you today, if I were to see you as like a soft-spoken character, I know I'd be thinking to myself,
1: that doesn't feel like Diane. Right. And I've, I've done it before. I've been like the straight person before. Right, like, of I'll course. Be, I'll be on a stage and I'm like, okay, there's a, if for me to be like, okay, I need to be the straight person in the scene yeah, <laughs> for yeah. me to say that. I'm like, okay, there's a lot happening. <laughs> but I think too, at that point in time, I was undiagnosed ADHD. So again, I didn't, I didn't understand what this motor, why do I have this motor that never stops every time I'm on stage? What is, was this? It's like puppy energy. Yeah, It's like, like it's that puppy that just runs around everywhere and eats your shoes and, and pisses on the floor. That That's me on a stage. <laughs> but understanding that about myself, I'm like, okay. you know. Like so for example, before I go into the theater, sometimes I'll be in my car and I'll just kind of breathe a little bit and like center myself. Listen to something calm. Um, make sure I took my meds that day. Like, you know, <laughs> just kind of, you know, when I'm on stage, sometimes, you know, I, I feel like this, ding, 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 and I'm like, okay, you're okay, you're fine. There's other people on the stage Let them there have their time. You know, sometimes also if it's like, a, if I sense an ounce of fear, I just kind of want to take over too because it's kind of, I also very protective of people on stage or if I see someone hasn't gone out in a while, I'll literally yank them on stage with me. They'll give me deer headlights, and headlights. I'm like, why are you on the stage? If you don't want to be on it, come on, let's no. go. You know, um, but it's like a, a balance. But I think now that I understand why, I am the way I am. Mm-hmm. It gives me a better, it, it, I know what it is versus, uh I'm just like this and all right. Good luck, everybody. Godspeed. You know, mm-hmm.
0: have you ever had any moments where you get so energetic on stage and you felt like maybe I've taken it a little too far? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Literally this
1: happened to me yesterday. I think I was telling you about this. So I was doing a show where we invite students to perform with us, and it's a, like a short-form competition um, format, right? And she, there's this girl who's, like you know, um, you know multi you know, multilingual, so she speaks more than, English is not her first language, right? Mm-hmm. And um, she, I don't think she had done a show at JTF before, I think she was just a student, but you know we got her to do the, the short-form show. Her first scene on that stage for a show was with me, playing the game
0: emotions. Talk about being thrown to the deep end.
1: I, you make you know what this is a new prerequisite. You want to join the JTF cast? Okay, Diane. Did Diane take her meds? No. Okay, bring her out. All right, perfect. <laughs> so, how much coffee did you give her? Oh, three cups. Fantastic. Come on, come on out, Diane. <laughs> I'm like, like, I feel like, uh, like the gla- um like the gladiators or like a bullfight. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know. And we're playing emotions, and you could, like, you know, she was really, she felt really uncomfortable. She's like, I don't know how to play. I, I'm like, don't worry, don't worry, we, we got this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I remember doing the scene, and you know. And there was times where I was, like, waiting for her to say something. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, okay, let me just kind of take this by the horns. And, you know, again, I was trying to give her some room to say something. But, and then I sit down. And I'm like, oh, my God, was that your first scene ever on the stage? She's like, like, with, like, in a show, she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, no, no. Oh, my God, you are so funny. And I go, you're great, too. Just, I just want to make sure you're okay. And I didn't, like, bulldoze, you know? Right. So, I think that's the, I guess, like, The catch twenty two. It's great to have this energy on stage because I feel you know it kind of it step makes everyone step up their games and you know it brings a lot of like it brings a lot of fun and joy into into a show. But also, I run the danger of bulldozing and taking over. I mean, I do stand up. I also do a solo. I do two solo shows. So it's um, so I'm very used to entertaining by myself. Mm -hmm. But the thing is part of the beauty of improv is that like Brzezowski will say the process is the product. Yes. Right. So the process of making a world with other people is your product. So when you're on the stage with other people on a cast, my specific challenge is Diane, there's other people on the stage. (laughs) Yes, you're, there is a spotlight on you, but there is a light on all these other people too. Give them their moment in the, give them their moment to shine in the sun, you know?
0: Yeah. Well you have done, I think, a really great job of allowing that energy to be shared with everyone else. And I love that you had that moment yesterday with, with that student because I yeah. think that will also inspire that person as well. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I love, and I know this could go in like a, a very other rabbit hole here right. is for me, it's great to see a woman who can come out and really take that charge. Thank you for saying that <laughs> as I say in the most non-feminine voice.
1: <laughs> and that's the other thing that um as a woman, so okay, I've got the whole neurodivergent misunderstood brain thing. I've got my body type that tends to work against me or like people people will see me and they're like how does she have so much energy? I'm like you know, energy is stored in fat cells, right? Um, (laughs) I don't know if you know this, that's what's inside of the fat cells. There's a lot of energy, um, I could expend. Um, (laughs) so I've got, okay, my brain, right. I've got, um, you know, my body type. Um, I've got, you know, being Latina, which isn't so much of an issue in Miami, but when I go to places outside of South Florida, you know, um, there are times where I've done jams and improv festivals outside of Miami and they immediately make me the maid mm. because I'm Latina. And it, again, that's my Cuban identity is a, it's a big part of it's a big part of who I am and I don't hide it. I'm very proud of it. Right. But a lot of times people will use their unconscious bias, biases or biases, right? And there have been times where I've been the maid or I've been the 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 cook. Or I've been the uh, like any stereotypical thing, you know.
0: And so, when you're putting those roles, yeah, how do, you, how do you deal with that?
1: Some there's one point in time where someone's like, "Oh, consuela, you have to make the bed." I'm like, "I can't believe I have a doctorate in quantum physics from Harvard for me just to make your bed." <laughs> yes, I'm very good at that too, but that's because I'm doing mathematical equations, you know. Like, and I'm just like justifying it, and they're like, "Okay, we got it. You're smart." I'm like, "Yeah." So when I go on stage, seven, that's seven, that's seven <laughs> That's seven. Um, so when I go on stage and, and also a woman, right? So the big thing, women aren't funny. There was a whole article that came out years ago on Vanity fair. One of these things about why women aren't funny. Right. And I can't tell you how many times cause I just stand up too. Right. I see a lineup, all guys, no one thinks an eye. You see a lineup, all women, oh, it's women, it's breast cancer month or mm. it's ladies night out. It's like made this big deal. And it's like, there's a show full of sausages <laughs> on the lineup, yeah. for lack of a better term. Pardon me. It's a sausage fest. and But like, meanwhile, if we got a party full of buns, people are like, oh no, like, mm. oh, this show's not going to be as funny because it's all women. So, you know... So when I come out as strong as I do, sometimes when I'm improvising with other, with other, with like, un, you know, less experienced improvisers or improvisers that don't know me very well, they're like, they'll look at me like, like, like I, like there's something on my face. And I'm just like, well, are you going to, are you going to match the energy or not?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We came to play, right? We came to play. I came to slay. Let's go. You know, so. And I think all, you know, again, that's, I don't, I'm not going to censor myself. I'm not going to filter myself. I'm not going to take myself down a notch to make you feel comfortable. If you're uncomfortable, that's a you problem.
0: Yeah. Do you think that's the answer of how to deal with that sort of, cause it's hard to think that in 2023, it still happens. It's still a thing. Do you think that that's the answer of how to deal with that sort of "Quote unquote," typecasting being typecast just because of your ethnicity in a certain role to just burst through with all that energy.
1: I, I think it starts from before, right? You hit that stage, and I think, I mean, as the years have gone on, I've seen just a funny really, you know, take a stance of like, okay, we respect everyone's like backgrounds, and you know, the fact that we start all our rehearsals with like a boundary circle, right? Mm-hmm. So there's certain topics, for example, like you know, self, like self-harm, that might be a trigger for some people. Right? right. Um, cause they have experiences with that or, you know, I think the, I think before you even step on that stage, it's just be, like, having that commitment to each other of like, okay, we're just gonna, we're going to play to the top of our intelligence. We're not going to punch down. We're not going to rely on any of the isms. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but also think about when you grow up and how many, things you heard that you believe to be true. I mean, there's certain comments I heard growing up that thinking about it now, I'm like, Oh my God, that was really racist or that was really misogynist. Um, But I think it starts even before you step on that stage and understanding the world that you live in, understanding there's people who identify in different ways that you may never understand, but it's not for you to understand. It's for you to respect. Yeah. You know, so I think it starts even before you step on that stage. But on stage, when you encounter something like that, I think it takes, and, and, it, and it's I hate that I have to still maneuver it in such a way, because I'm in front of an audience, mm-hmm. I can't just be like, time out, that was messed up, F you, F you, you're cool, I'm out. I can't do that, because people pay 20 $25 to see a show, right? Right. So you have to do it in such a way, where you're like, you're calling out the person, but you're also, you know, but you're also doing it in such a way that, you know, artistically. right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So again, and it's because I have 15 years of improv experience that I'm able to do that. And because I know myself and I know my truth and I know what I have to bring to the table and I know I can entertain people and I know that I'm good at this. Again, I'm not saying eight. Um <laughs> <laughs> I know that I'm good at this, but I but again, like I always feel that as a performer, I'm a work in progress, right? I always feel like I learned something new every time I step on a stage. It doesn't matter how good or bad the gig is. but I I, I have all these years of experience behind me and I know that making putting, for example, an older woman as a mother on stage, like there was one time I did improv and, it was a jam and they called an older woman mother. I'm like, yes, she is mother. Yes. God. And I was like mm-hmm. voguing. and I'm like, she is living. She is like, you know, I made her like some like hotshot, like fashion designer called like, her brand was called mother. Mm. Cause someone called her mother. I was like, okay, we're not just because she's an, she's an older woman and you know her in real life to be a mom. doesn't mean she needs to be a mom on the stage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, it's just those, I try, you know, you don't want to be preachy on stage, but you, it's a wink. It's like, wink, wink, I don't like what you just said, you know, or there was like one point, I, I think it was during a JTF show, someone was like, it was like a, three, a group of three women on the stage, and he goes, oh, there's my harem, and I go, how many times do I have to tell you the plural for woman is women, not harem,
0: mm.
1: and boom, knocked it down, like shut that down. But again, it's, I hate that I still have to do that, you know, but there's some people who have preconceived notions and I can, you know, I know what, I can control what I do, you know, and I can control how I portray myself on stage. I can't control what someone else has said, what someone else says, but I can tell them, okay, that wasn't right.
0: Yeah. In my but, own little way. But what I still love is that you you have the courage to be able to stand up to it yeah. in the moment that it happens. Yes. And, you know, like you say, when, when you're in the middle of a show, you don't want it to be preachy because you still want it to be entertaining.
1: Right, because it's not an after-school special.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I love that you've really developed this ability to be absolutely fearless, which I think a lot of performers, especially women, can yeah. definitely learn from you.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of times where – there are spaces that are not made for us. And I think, you know, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of diversity and understanding um, different, you know, different um, marginalized communities. But the fact that you bring that up, you know, is as simple as someone's pronouns, mm-hmm. you know, um, for example, my email signature, in my day job, I'm a cisgendered female. I, you know. And I put my, but I put my pronouns on there, even though it might be obvious to many people, but just to normalize that, just to normalize that aspect of just like, oh, my pronouns are they, them, my pronouns are, you know, he, he, him, or she, they, or just to normalize that aspect. I think, you know, it starts with when you're off stage, it's like, okay, if you hear like a term that you've never heard, like, okay, maybe look it up, Google it. Mind you, you may not understand that person's struggle, but you can at least respect it and know that, okay, they, they identify as this. So, okay. And you know, you just go up to someone else before the show, like, hey, what are your pronouns or, or what are you, you know, or the other day when I called you this is, you know, is that, is that how I pronounce, you know, if, as simple as pronouncing someone's name, a lot of times the name's too long to pronounce we want to shorten it, right? Mm-hmm. But if people can pronounce Schwarzenegger off the, the tip of their tongue, they can pronounce Midas Lacy's or whatever name a person has, right. you know? Yeah. I think honoring people's identities is an important thing, even like right before you step on that stage, you understand that everyone here has a different identity that needs to be respected.
0: We've seen you perform many times as Diane Jorge. Yes. But we've also seen you perform by a different (laughs) name, and that name, of course, is Walter Mercado.
1: Yes, a.k.a. Mercado de la Fortuna, because uh, Walter Mercado has uh, has an estate, so I want to make sure. Yes, uh, Walter Mercado uh, as Mercado de la Fortuna. So that's the stage name for my Walter Mercado impersonation.
0: So for people in Miami who don't know who that is... Or, or people in Latin America who don't know who that is. Walter Mercado was a TV psychic.
1: Yeah, he was like an astrologer, TV psychic. So very big in Miami, very big in Latin America, or very big in like the Latino community. Um, he used, I mean, he was everywhere at one point. He had like a daily horoscope segment on like, on Univision. He had like a radio show. Um, he's known, he's very Liberace-esque. You know, in the sense of like you these, took
0: the words right out of my mouth. Yeah,
1: like a you know very bedazzled capes, like pulled, like facelifted, you know, very feminine features, and the face like a like this fluffy strawberry blonde hair, just just a magical. Mind you, in a community that is known to be very homophobic and very conservative, he he was very beloved by the Latino community. I probably, if he had the terminology then that we have now, he probably would have been like an asexual, a, you know, a gender fluid. Because again, you never heard about this person with a significant other. People would say he was gay, but he always would would evade that question. And he was just a very, I think it's because he was so positive with his readings. He never gave a bad... Reading,
0: yeah, he never gave a reading like Scorpio, you need to stay inside because something bad's gonna right. Happen.
1: No, he'd be like a Scorpio, people are out to get you, but keep your head up high, no, go through those hurdles, you know. Like he was always very positive and very uplifting,
0: yeah. But what people loved so much was, as you said, his character,
1: right? Yeah, he just he was very unapologetically his himself. Mm. He, you know, he wore like 10,000 rings yes. <laughs> and makeup and just like to see him is to believe him. And I really recommend that Netflix documentary called mucho, mucho amor. It goes into his background. He's just, he's such a lovely, he's like so lovely. He really is. And I actually got to meet him like back in 2019 and it was, it was amazing.
0: It was great. So how did you get to create this great impersonation of Walter Mercado?
1: So August 2019, I met him in person. He, They had, and actually you'll see this in the documentary. They had a exhibit um, looking at Walter Mercado's career. They had a bunch of his capes on display. It was at History Miami, uh, which is in downtown Miami, inside the downtown Miami main library branch. So, you know. I got to meet him. They were doing like an interview with him. And I got to meet him in person in 2019. And then October comes around. Halloween is a big holiday for me. I love dressing up for Halloween. I think that's one of the few things that I've never grown out of. I love Halloween. It's like my Super Bowl. It's amazing. I love it. Um, So that year, I was really inspired by him. And I dressed up as him for Halloween. And mind you, it was supposed to just be a Halloween costume. I never thought... I never thought I would be performing as him. Um, and fun fact, I dressed up like him for Halloween. Two days later, he passes away. Wow. Yeah. So that's why I was like, I don't think I killed. Did I out Walter Walter? <laughs> was he like, okay, she is Walter now. Okay. And then he's,
0: he literally passed the torch <laughs> on to he you. He passed
1: the torch to me. The funny thing is, so I did that for like my day jobs, um, Halloween contest. And I, I won by a landslide, may I add? So then (laughs) the guy who's like the chairman of the TV network and I'm in the elevator, that's the first person I see. And I'm like, good morning. And then he's like, good morning. You killed Walter (laughs) Mercado. Oh no. And then me thinking quick on my feet. And also that's the great thing about improv. You train, you kind of train your response time in real life. Because so then improv, you have to say something in the moment, and I think that really applies in the real world. So in the elevator, that split moment, I go, "Where'd you get that suit from? Is it Praga?" <laughs> I go, "Do you think they make it in my size?" He's like, "Careful now. Have a good day." <laughs> <laughs> and then some people would be like, "Oh man, uh, hope you don't dress like me." I'm like, "Oh, where did you sh- where'd you get that sh- uh, dress? Barn, like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right." But you've been able to perform this character yeah. a lot.
1: Yeah, I have. I did um so back in twenty twenty one during the so when performances were starting to become a thing again, but it was mostly outdoors, I got to do I think it was like a nine, ten week run as me as Walter McGall inside of a ticket book. So think of like Zoltar from the movie Big. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So instead of Zoltar, it was Walter. So I was inside this ticket booth in some theater in downtown Miami and people would come up to me and they would ask for fortunes and I would just improvise them. I made Miami style tarot cards and so I would give nine. <laughs> I would give all these readings and and you know, I man, it was so much fun because I got, it was, he's a person so I got completely lost in that character. It was great.
0: Yeah, I mean, how could you not get lost in that character? I mean, it's such a... It's, it looks like, from watching you, such yeah. a fun, great oh. character to play.
1: Because he was so unapologetically himself. And yeah. I think, because I was, at that point, I was, so, I had done stand-up, right, when I started doing improv, but again, I had a lot of undiagnosed mental health stuff that um, I had, like, I used to get panic attacks all the time when I would do stand-up. And again, it was not understanding myself and being too afraid of, failure mm-hmm. which if you're afraid of failure guess what if your fears will come true just by mere having that fear right yeah so i stopped doing stand-up for a really long time but because of him mind you i i was making stuff up all the time and they were very much set up punch set up punch and i was doing joke structure without even trying really and i'm like wait a minute I've been afraid to do stand up this whole time. so I give him a lot of credit and like me doing that character a lot of credit and it gave me like a newfound confidence like, you know what? I can do that without wearing a cape and a wig and a full outfit and <laughs> you know, and rings. and I could just do this as Diane. I still haven't like found the secret sauce of bringing the confidence I have as Walter McGDonlo to Diane but I think mm. I'm almost there but I think it, the fact that I realize it now is a good is I think a a good path.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the stand up and you've yeah. also really developed yourself very well as a stand-up comedian. Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably still a lot that you're learning as you're going through this Absolutely. process. Absolutely. What has that experience been like for you to dive into the stand-up world?
1: I think the challenge with stand-up is it's very much I don't want to say it's a solo sport in the sense of like, but it's you on that stage, right? Mm-hmm. If something works, you get the glory. If something doesn't work, you get the, the jeers or the boos. I mean, I've never really been booed on a stage, but, um, I think with improv, you're so used to how ha- you're so you're used to having that, like, you know, if some, if a scene's not going well, you hope someone in your cast will edit that scene And then, you know, you save the piece. Right. Mm. But I think with stand up, um,
0: there's no safety net.
1: There's not um, there's not much of a uh, a safety net. And not only that, I think, you know, I think also since a lot of people think they can do stand up uh, at first, some people are not as warm to you, like other comedians are not as warm to you because they're like, oh, is this person going to be here a few weeks from now? Think once you show up in and, and comics, see that you do the work, that you're going to mics, you're going to shows, that, oh, you're changing the wording of that joke. Oh, man, that joke really improved. Or, you know, once they see that you're, like, doing the work, they're like, oh, okay, N- then maybe I can invest in this person. And there's a couple of comics I talk to all the time now and, you know, that I consider friends. But I think at first, you know, they're just getting to know you. I'm not saying they're outwardly, like, horrible to you at the beginning but you know there's some hesitation there for sure you know and then you can also and then you find people that share a similar point of view or that at least want to write with you you know Mm -hmm. like you'll write jokes together you'll fight and that's the other thing like the pandemic was really horrible yeah but one of the good things that pandemic proud about is i was able to take a bunch of stand-up classes from different people in la and new york and meet comics from like canada and australia and we got to work on our material together um and you get to find like a community online of people that will help you with your with your jokes
0: what's part of your regular material when you do stand-up
1: um the main thing and this is like one of the one one of the things that jessica Kirsten, who's a she's a fantastic comic um she has a a, a crowd work special on, on youtube and i'm she's fan she's great um she during the pandemic did like a like a class for like um I'm sure for female comics she like and one of the things she said was like if you make your material by yourself no one's going to be able to steal it hmm. like draw from your life experiences so a lot of it's like my just it's my point of view it's not like women be shopping you know <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> or like yeah. what's the deal with airplane food it has yeah. to be it has to come from a place you like you feel strongly about because you have to be able to talk about it and talk about it to with, you know, some feeling. Right. So a lot of my comedy is like, you know, some of it's self-deprecating. Um, some of it's, you know, about things growing up and embarrassing experiences, you know, the, the two, you know, the kind of like I talked about earlier, the cultures, right. The culture clash of, growing up in America, but having Cuban parents and, like, those misunderstandings of, you know, why I do this, but my mom's like, oh, we don't do that in Cuba, you know? Mm. So, a lot of my comedy is about that and just, you know, like, my struggles and, you know, I'm married, too, so I talk a little bit about, like, marriage and how things kind of change once you get into your marriage and, you know, so... A lot of my life, you know, I have more than, I hate when people are like, hey, use this for one of your bits. And I'm like, no, thank you. I have more than enough <laughs> with my life. But thank you.
0: Yeah. Appreciate that. But you know, the big connection that I see for you between the stand up and the improv is that you're still not afraid to be yourself. Right. And I think that's the best thing that we get to see because every time I see you, I get to see Diane. Yeah. And it's another version of her, but it's yeah. still her. And I love that. You unapologetically present yourself in the best way you know how to show us you.
1: Yeah, and I think when people are like, "Oh, you're fearless," I'm not gonna lie to you. There is fear always. Like the with improv, not there is, but a split second. Um, mm-hmm. With stand up, there is still a lot more fear because again, it's just you by yourself. Everyone's looking at you. Like, make me laugh, clown. You know what I mean improv I think like the level of humor because it's different like you tell people hey I just made this up so they'll laugh like oh my god you just made this up but stand-up is like I wrote this you know so Mm -hmm. oh you wrote this to be funny like in improv if I say something and I don't get laughs for a bit I might be like oh okay but I'm not gonna feel horrible about myself now with stand-up you know at the beginning when I was doing stand up again, I'm like, Oh, you didn't laugh at that. Oh, I'm a horrible person. Oh, okay. <laughs> should I just, should I just quit? Should I just stop talking period? Okay. I'm just going to take a vow of silence now. I mean, not so much now, but I think it hurts a little bit cause it's the audience telling you, your baby is ugly, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's not so much the audience telling you your baby is ugly. They're like, Oh, maybe there's a more flattering outfit
0: for your baby <laughs> or maybe there's
1: a better way of saying what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Here's something that I'm curious about. When it comes to stand-up, when you do a joke and it doesn't land, how much of it is a problem with your joke and how much of it is, well, this particular crowd just didn't get it? Well, there's been times
1: where I'll do a set and it kills. It does absolutely great. I'll do the same set somewhere else and... And I think also as a comedian, that's why it's important for you to write new material, test out new material, go to mics or, you know, you know, talk to, you know, like maybe, and I hate that I say that I do this, but sometimes my friends and family, I will try jokes out on them. I'll just try to like sneak it in in conversation, which makes me feel a little dirty to do (laughs) that. It makes me feel a little disingenuous to do that. But like, um... When it doesn't work, it's like, okay, I I have to remember in that moment, like some I'll call it out. For example, like if something doesn't work well, I'm like, okay, that didn't work. That's fine, guys. I'm not gonna cry in the car on my way home or anything at all. Like it's fine, it's fine. I'm I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm okay. There was one time where like I did I'm okay for 30s. I'm like I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm I'm fine. No, no, I'm fine. And then people started laughing. You know what I mean? Because I'm like okay. You know they see cut me, I bleed. You know, but um. Yeah. If something doesn't work, then, you know, it's... Mark Norman, uh, another great stand-up, he says, bombing is just information. Mm. So it's just, okay, I got to go back to the drawing board and refigure that. I wish I could hit a, you know, I could hit a home run out of the park every time I swing the bat, but sometimes I'm going to swing and miss and I have to be okay with that.
0: Well, in talking about you doing improv and in talking about you performing stand up on your own. Yeah. This obviously leads us to something else that you're very well known for. <laughs> you have created this amazing solo improv show called solo Vela. Yes. How did you get the idea for this and explain to us what this is?
1: So LD, when you were my teacher an improv one, You had started to fool around with doing solo improv. And when I saw you do that, I'm like, I would love to do that one day. You know, but at that point in time, I didn't have enough. Like, obviously, I just started. I'm like, let me learn how to do this improv thing first, right? Mm -hmm. But it's always like a little seed in the back of my head. So then, in, um, so at Just a Funny, we had a Que Pasa Improv, which is like our, like a Spanglish um, improv show. And Mm -hmm. we, we started to develop a telenovela format. And then I started to get, you know, um i was just starting to think like oh man there was a lot of things i would love to do with this telenovela show but so growing up latina i've watched i would watch telenovelas every night with my grandmother or my mom i would sit there mind you i was way too young to be watching these things like there's some (laughs) topics on there that i'm like in hindsight i'm like they they let me watch this okay um (laughs) But, you know, I grew up watching this, like, melodramatic, like, <gasps> ¿Por qué? No. La leche está en piso. You spilled the milk. Slap on face. <laughs> you know, so I think that I, my high energy also um, benefits from that. So, you know, uh, I, and also I work for a Spanish-language TV network. That's my day job. So I was exposed to this type of programming all the time, like, I would analyze these type of shows for a living. So you could say I'm very familiar with the genre, right? So, you know, years of years of doing improv and doing other things. So I think it was 2019. um, There's the Palm beach improv festival and an improviser named TJ Mannix, who does a fantastic solo show, has this workshop about developing your, your solo duo or trio, developing your own format. And, I had this little idea. I'm like, man, it'd be really fun to do a, a really campy telenovela. And no disrespect to QPI, but like there were certain things that I wanted us to do as a group. But like, I'm like, guys, I really know this format, you know, and then we couldn't all like mesh on the same thing. And there was a lot of ideas I had in terms of like props and things like that. And I'm like, eh. so when I saw the solo workshop and I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe this is the thing I can do. So I go into this workshop with T.J. Mannix, and he's asking a couple of questions about what is it you like most about improv. Like when you play, what when are you have, like what type of play gives you the mo- what sparks joy? You know, basically asking what things I really like. What are some things um, I really like? Just like art wise, like there, what are some things I know think good good about? What are some things you don't want to do in your solo? And, you know, so then I was talking to TJ and I'm like, look, I've had this idea because we do like a telenovela, an uh, improvised telenovela, uh, you know, at our theater. But I had this idea to like kind of incorporate some props and he's like, oh, my God, yes, 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 I love it. And he was just really encouraging. And then he helped me develop vela. That was my phone. I hit my phone. That's uh two on the phone, uh, eight on the mic.
0: So for those of you playing at home, so those of you are at, at home. 10 mic bumps and two phone bumps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, I take this class with TJ. We develop Solo Vela. I finally get the courage to do Solo Vela right before everything closed for the pandemic. Um, at Just the Funny, they do this show called Rumble, which is kind of like a competitive um, team show where basically you have two teams, they have 20 minutes to perform their format. And then whoever the audience votes for is the winner. So I did the, the rumble and I won that rumble my first time ever doing the format and lo and behold, everything closed for the pandemic. But I just had these ideas of just, you know, cause usually in improv, you do a lot of, um, space work, right? You're miming, your phone and you know, and then I know it does have these like melodramatic aspects that you can't, that you need props for. Like, so for example, I have a big fan that blows through my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and usually in those romantic moments when like the, you know, the two people that are supposed to be together when they're looking at each other and they're walking towards each other, somehow there's wind blowing through their hair. Right. There's a lot of slapping. There's a lot of like, porque elongating of words. Um, you know, it's, you know, the saying, like, there's no use crying over spilled milk Tell a telenovela, you're crying over the spilled milk, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're spilling, you're crying about the carton. You're crying about the refrigerator being open. You're crying, you know, like you're, it's melodramatic. It's camp. It's fun. And, um, yeah, I, I it just, it's something that sparks so much joy. <laughs> like I love doing that show so much. I swear if I did that show, I, I would have a chin and I would, ha- I mean, I would have one chin. I would have a neck. I would have a thigh gap. I, I would have, I would be a Victoria's secret angel. Um, <laughs> if I did that show every, like if I did that show, like every week,
0: yeah i mean every time i watch you do it you are just a whirlwind of energy yeah and and what's great is you do go through all of the tropes that you see in a typical telenovela right and in fact you even do this thing where when you transition from one scene to a next you throw rose petals up in the air (laughs) yes
1: for whatever reason a lot of these like telenovelas will have rose like roses in like their logo their artwork there's like roses in like the la, la hacienda and, or whatever mm-hmm. like there's just this like passion love desire romance you know so the rose petals are just kind of like a campy like nod to that imagery of passion and love um so yeah when i go in between scenes i'll like, i'll sing whatever The name of the telenovela is right. Like, but it's usually something, something, the amor Mm -hmm. and I throw the rose petals, Right. Right. Um, But yeah.
0: And you know, what always makes me laugh is that I always see when you prepare for the show and you come in with all of these cases (laughs) of all these props, (laughs) costume pieces and all this stuff. And then you do the show and you probably use only four of those things.
1: Yeah, because I wanna open myself to the possibility. Mm-hmm. I think there was one show where I used like ten different things. So a big trope for telenovelas is the priest in the town. Yeah. Like the priest is the the guy you go to for advice, right? Like the priest is like your protector, right? So I had this, um, I guess the cow, like the 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 collar. Mm-hmm. I had this thing that you tie around your neck and it's basically like a priest collar. Yeah. So I had bought that and I hadn't gotten to use it. I finally got to use it. And it turns out the priest was the father of mm-hmm. some, of one of the characters. It was a thing. Cause again, the way I do the shows, I interview someone and I interview about their life. I ask if they have a significant other. I ask if they have someone they don't like in their life, which I make, I usually make that person like the quote unquote villain. Mm-hmm. That villain always wears an eye patch, Um, because that's another Telenovela trope. Yeah, the bad
0: guys always have an eye patch. The
1: the bad guy always has an eye patch, and
0: they never explain it either. Never explain it. Never explained.
1: Never explained at all. So I just have, you know, have the eye patch there. Um, mind you, I have a lanyard for the eye patch because I kept losing the eye patch, <laughs> and, it be, and people kept calling out there. My theory is when you lose the eye patch, I'm like, and like the little perfectionist, mm-hmm. neurodivergent person in me was like, no. So I have a lanyard <laughs> <around> <laughs> me with the eye patch as i doing the show. Um, and again, and the other thing, I the other reason I love doing the show is because I get to turn those stereotypes on their head. So there's a lot of the damsel in distress. Um, you know, girl from the village, poor village, rich guy, rich guy is her savior because he takes her out of poverty. So I get to make telenovelas. I have people working at Kinkos or FedEx, FedEx Kinkos, whatever that's called now, right? So I get to make these like seemingly ordinary, lot you know, people living their lives into this campy telenovela.
0: I mean, it's such an amazing show to watch because, again, it's you. it's you. It's yeah. I mean, I feel like no one else can do that show but you because <laughs> it, it is so energetic and it's yeah, yet another great example of Diane being Diane. Yeah. You've gotten to perform this in Miami, but you've yes. also gotten to perform it in, in other cities outside yes. of Miami. What's been the reception like for people who haven't grown up with telenovelas like we no, have?
1: No, great. Great. Um, I've done it at the countdown improv festival, um, in Tampa three times. Um, I think I did this in Omaha. So I went to Omaha, Nebraska. So, um, Dylan Rohde, who owns the backline comedy theater in, uh, Omaha was actually at, um, the countdown improv festival one year. And I think last year he came to the Miami improv festival. And, oh yeah. Well, 2020, I guess back in January. And He was like, Oh my god, solo vela! I'm like, Oh my god, yeah, how are you are, you know. And he's like, Oh, you should really consider applying for the fest, you know, applying to the Omaha Improv Festival, Improv Comedy Festival, rather. And I'm like, You think they'll get it? He's like, Listen, not everyone grew up watching telenovelas, but we know enough about the tropes. Like, no, it'll do well. I did my show in Omaha, I actually had one of I don't want to say my worst interview, but the interview was, it, it was, so I usually interview the person. I'll ask like how they, you know, if it's two people, how they know each other, what they do for a living. And this one was, they were less giving. So I kind of had to ask things three different, five different ways. Mm. And, um, lo and behold, that was one of the best shows I've had. Um, and, and, I got off the stage and and then someone was like someone who had seen the show before who was watching the show now were like I don't know how you were gonna do the show with the interview and I'm like or did I but <laughs> and this and also I made a nod so for example I had someone so I usually have someone that plays piano because that way they can play like dramatic music in the moment right and there's someone on stage you know so that way there's there's someone. Like just highlighting those moments of drama because usually in a telenovela it's like dun 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 or there's like a you know high heartbeating like you know suspenseful moment like dun 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 dun, dun mm-hmm. you know so it's nice to have that backdrop because it also again it's a, it immerses you in that telenovela world right
0: mm-hmm.
1: I remember I do my opening scene in Omaha. And, um, you know, the person, the person who's doing the musical director, right? The person playing piano, just playing piano. And I put my, like, you know, I put my elbow on her shoulder and I'm just like talking. I'm just like, yeah, you know, because I'm trying to find somebody here in this club and I find nobody. Do you know what I mean? Wow. You're not saying much. That is hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of calling out the truth right? from what just happened to me in that moment, just as a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. just to let the audience know, I know that didn't go as well as I wanted it to go. Now I'm letting you know that I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. was, we all know at that moment. I mean,
1: I wasn't like, I have to be, you know, you have to be careful when you're doing those like meta moments in improv. Mm-hmm. because you don't want to take people out of the reality right. but, yeah. but i i was able to do it in character and in the context of that scene you know and it's great that because the person i was playing piano is also an improviser so she was like i i didn't know if you want me to say something i go no 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 that was perfect i figured you wouldn't because you were playing piano and you weren't you know in the in the show
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and she was like oh my god that was hysterical was it good
0: you know, you've done so much. Yes. You've done so much great work with with all of the, your improv, Thank and you. I know you're also doing a lot with Improv you and yes. Solo Vela has taken by storm, and your yeah. Walter Mercado has taken by storm. What do you think is next for you?
1: Oh man, um, I need more hours in the day because I want. <laughs> so there's so many other things I want to do. Um, I've, I know, I, I've always seen myself as a performer, not much of a writer, but I think. Even a part being a part of just of just a funny and doing like the sketch shows there like I was really heavily involved before the pandemic. I wrote a lot of song parodies I wrote a lot of like short little blackout um sketches and now as a stand-up I mean I pretty much write almost every day or at least try to improve how something is written yeah so I've written a lot down a lot of ideas for like video sketches so I'd really love to make videos and post them online. Hope you know, maybe they get some traction. Maybe they don't. You know, be great if they did because it would validate my existence. Um, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, just exploring different ways to express myself comedically and finding different ways to entertain people. Um, I think that's what's next for me. It's, I mean, it's hard because as you were just saying out loud, I do a lot of things and I also do improve. Yeah, again, I do perform with another group called Improv U. But um, the main person that runs and lives in Orlando now. So, you know, I, from time to time, it's not as frequent as I used to do stuff wake with that group in particular. But, yeah, I would love to do more video. And I, I think I'm also saying this a couple of times. I want to do more video um, <laughs> so I can make myself accountable to do it. Right. Um, you know, I'd love to do more shows as Walter. I'd love to do more shows with Solo Vela and take it to different places. Again, it's something different. It's something unique. You know, people are used to seeing Whose Line Is It Anyway for improv, but they, you know, not a lot of people know that you can see an entirely improvised narrative play. Yeah. You can see an entirely improvised telenovela. When I explain that to people, they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. work and I see that, you know? Now I'm like, well, it's kind of a hard sell. <laughs> <laughs> we can wait till January in Miami. I might be performing it. But yeah.
0: Well, Diane, you listen to this podcast, so you know the last question that I'm about to throw at you now. Okay. At least I think you know. Okay. What's the one piece of advice that has served you well that you'd want everyone else to hear?
1: Fail, fail often, swing and miss, swing as hard as you can. Um, the fear of failure is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, you, can't, you can't be afraid because... You're going to regret the things you didn't do more than the things you did. If you regret something you did, well, at least you did it. But you don't, you're not living with the what if, right? So try to live your life as much as possible without any what ifs. Just, just Nike, just do it. Um, Yeah. Follow the fear.
0: I love that. That's become my new philosophy now. I, I find that it's better to just do it than not do it and wonder what if.
1: Exactly. People are going to talk. People are going to talk regardless. You might as well have them talk about something you wanted to do versus something you didn't want to do.
0: Yeah. And I would much rather look back and be able to say, yeah, I did it. than just sit in my rocking chair and think, man, I wish I would have taken a shot.
1: Yeah. So that's actually when you see when you hear about people in hospice and like nurses talking about you know, what patients say, they're like, I wish I would have done X. I wish I would have gone for whatever. So, I mean, better late than never, but just do it, man. Just you fail, you fail, but at least, you know, you did it.
0: Well, so the score now, the final score is 10 mic bumps and two (laughs) phone bumps. That's the final score for those of you playing at home.
1: Um, if you did take a shot for each one, um, please seek immediate medical assistance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Diane, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. I love you very much. I, I appreciate love you, too. you. And just thank you so much, my friend. And thank you. Take the chance and do it. Don't be afraid. What have you got to lose? As I like to say, it's better to do it than not do it and wonder what if. I want to give a huge thank you to Diane Jorge for being here today. It's a personal honor for me to see how much she's grown and how far she's come. Find out more about this amazing woman. She's an absolute delight. Visit her website, DianeJorge.com, and follow her on Instagram at DianeIsLoud, Mercado de la Fortuna, and Solo Vela Improv. Links to all of these can be found in this episode's description. Thank you all for being here. You really helped make this podcast what it is. Be sure to rate and review and let all your friends know about improv and magic. I'm LD. Hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time, my friends.